Cooper. Welcome to the Sourced Podcast. And another week has zipped by. It's time for the week in review. My name is Michael Crutcher and joining me fresh from the tropics, Jordan McDonald. Welcome, Jordan. Hi, Michael. Yes, back from the beach. How was it? It wasn't too bad. It's beautiful up north there, but unfortunately... With the tropics, there's the sun and there is the rain, and we got the rain while we were there most of the time. So, but you know that said, it is it is beautiful up there. We got around, saw some of the islands, and it was a nice break. Yeah, and you can't have a bad holiday. It's no, always good fun. Not at all. Not at all. It was great. It was good. Uh, it's good to be back though. Yeah, well, plenty to discuss too. And one thing that's been interesting this week, and if you live in southeast Queensland and follow media, it's impossible to escape it. That's been the coverage of the state government and some integrity matters that have been brought up, which have, uh, I guess, been in the news for about three weeks or so and culminating today, not culminating, taking another step today with the Premier announcing an inquiry or a review of, I guess, some of the dealings between public services and the integrity officers and Okay, so it's it's politics, but it's been in the media, and I guess Jordan, we're looking at a time now where people know our state parliamentarians maybe a lot better than they have previously. Yeah, we certainly do. You know, these politicians have been a part of our daily lives for a bit over two years now, so we've really gotten to know them, the ins and outs of it all. So yeah, it, we really we really are involved. It's a good point. So. I guess where we look at it in terms of 55 comms is following the media treatment of a story like this. And I've been intrigued by this. In my previous role at the Korea Mail, obviously, I was part of these different story arcs. And what has played out here has been just following the way that the government and mainstream media have traded off on this story. Uh, A whole bunch of different angles coming out from mainstream media through the Courier-Mail, the Australian, the likes of uh, Radio 4BC and others, and the government and the tactics that they adopted. Now, I've been interested because I was waiting to see whether we would have a situation where there was, in traditional media play, a scapegoat that comes up. So, for instance, someone resigns or someone steps aside and that creates, I guess, the, uh, the, the bursting point. Because in a way, these matters, now whether it's government or whether it is a private organisation or a sporting team, when these things build up in media, they build up like a balloon and more air goes into the balloon and it keeps blowing until there has to be a balloon bursting moment, if you like. So mm-hmm. what is that moment that releases that tension? Now, this one has built up longer than I expected. I've been waiting to see what would happen. Uh, there was no hint that there was going to be a scapegoat as such, which is a traditional play. And today we had the balloon busting moment, which was the announcement of this review, which was foreshadowed in the Courier-Mail's newspaper this morning. So... It's an interesting example in how you handle, I guess, crisis communications and how you trade off with media in a very changed environment. So even the media environment now, compared to when I was in a senior role in newspapers uh, in the last 10 years, it's changed a lot. The government's gone with the option here of calling a review headed by someone who's well-respected in Peter Coldrake to look at that review. And we've had what we'd expect from some of the responses from opposition, the government at a press conference today reinforcing that. So even though I think my main take out of this is even though mainstream media 
has changed in the sense that online media tends to dominate more than it has. There are still very, very important players here in the media landscape in Australia and some of those players are journalists who came up in the era pre-digital, in the era in which there was a real art in getting a story, taking a story and running with that for weeks at a time and therefore putting governments or putting corporations or putting sporting teams or the like under pressure to respond. Mm. So that's what I've been fascinated these last few weeks, just watching how this would happen. And I guess I look at it and I don't look at it through um, partisan eyes as such. I look at it in a way that is purely from the sideline. I remember, and I was involved as a journalist in a matter in which there was a coalition government that stood by a member, a backbencher, and they stood by that backbencher, backbencher despite the coverage that uh, my newspaper was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And they stood by him and rubbished the media coverage. And in the end, that backbencher went to jail and went to jail for several years. So that to me was a, a situation handled poorly at mm. the time because what it did was play a game of bluff with mainstream media. So it was a game of bluff, how much have you got? Can you keep this story running for some time? And at the time, some outstanding journalists kept that story running and their work provided the basis for that politician to go to jail where he deserved to go. So this is this ongoing situation between governments and media in a tactical battle to see who can... I guess, win the day. Now, at the moment, I'd say the points in this one go to media in this current one. So the points go to media. Let's see what happens from here because we're in this situation now where we have four-year fixed terms in Queensland. So do people really care? And I guess, Jordan, as we discussed before, like you say, the characters are better known now because of the COVID coverage. So, yes, now, do people care? We don't know yet. Let's find out as time goes on. And... You know, there is a suggestion there's some pollsters out in the field now who might give us some indication of how that's happened. But I guess we'll know in in time to come because the way that media and politicians interact is still quite similar in many ways, but we know it's changed from a social media viewpoint and especially people, you know, of your generation, younger than my generation, who interact and consume things differently than uh, they have previously. Exactly right. The, the way that government communicates with us on social media now is is predominantly how we get any of their information. Um, you know, the integrity stuff here at the moment is not something that we talk about too often uh, had we not been checking in with the government on a daily basis throughout the pandemic, I think it'd be a bit different. And it's still not something I discuss with my friends much now, but, you know, it's something I discuss here at work. We read the news every day. But, yeah, I think that that is the power of the social media and the pan- the nature of the pandemic. Now, that was a bit of a uh, serious start to the weekend review, but <laughs> we'll take it to a different level because, of course, and we mentioned this last week, Monday was Super Bowl Monday in Australia, Super Bowl Sunday in America. The uh, decider in the American National Football League mm-hmm. between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. But, of course, Jordan, it was more than just a footy game. Exactly right. From start to finish... The broadcast was superb. I mean, we the commentary 
was well balanced from start to finish. The national anthem, spectacular. The game was tense. You know, it was just a narrow narrow uh, margin deciding the uh, the winner and loser there. And the halftime show was essentially a concert. Many would give limbs to have attended. <laughs> and then there's the ads. The ads, arguably just as entertaining as the uh, the game. So that's right because it is. It is an entertainment package from it start is. to finish, isn't it? It and is. I watched um, a lot of the game on Monday our time mm. and I watched it through the NBC feed, so through the main feed in the US. Yeah. I'd not watched the Super Bowl before right. through the American feed. Mm. So to watch it that way gave me a completely different perspective on it. I didn't realise – we always know about the Super Bowl ads. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realise, though, just how much a part of the coverage they are. They are, like, ads that people stay and watch because – Oh, absolutely. Yep. So, talk about some of those ads. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. The, the NBC coverage there is is it's spectacular. Compared to what we might get here in Brisbane through a, or Australia through a different channel – we don't get all the all the ads. But no, we don't. We don't. We, we, we get don't the get coverage, but we don't get the ads. I know we miss out. But um, some of the some points about the ads. So obviously, you know, it's it's hotly contested the ad spots, and they come at a good at a high price. So this year, the ads were going for about seven million US for a thirty second spot. Ooh. So nice and uh, okay. nice and expensive. But if you think about it, it's almost always worth the money. Considering more than 100 million were expected to tune in, and well more than 100 million did tune in. Um, but one of the interesting things I noticed in the ads was new tech featured a lot. And that was yeah, things like your metaverse and cryptocurrency. They were the two big ones yeah. that stood out to me. Plenty of that. So crypto made its debut as a sort of ad category this year. There was none last year. So, um, And Coinbase probably made the biggest splash for me um they ran an ad which is essentially the old school dvd loading icon which used to roll across your tv and instead of the uh, the logo the dvd logo it was the qr code and it just rolled along for a whole minute and if you scan the code it took you to their website and it offered you a a deal it offered you 15 dollars in uh, bitcoin to sign up today because um, it was a real change in the broadcast because they're all these really upmarket ads and all of a sudden, bang. These highly professional ads and suddenly it's just a black screen with a changing QR code colour. And obviously you're waiting for that fantastic moment where the corners <laughs> meet up and it's, it's, it's flush. But uh, it made a massive impact. So 20 million people landed on the Coinbase landing page in the first minute after the ad. Oh, wow. Actually crashed the website for a minute. <laughs> but they ended up, they got it back up quick enough that they could still enjoy the benefits of the ad. And people also installed the app. The installs for the app went up 300%. So wow. it certainly made an impact. Um, for me, I think that revealed um, that curiosity and that fear of missing out will almost always override common sense. So one of the things I noticed with these crypto ads is that they don't often explain what you're investing in. Yeah. Instead, in this case, they've actually given you some investment already and said, yeah, join us now. Yep. And, you know, they've, they've made it mysterious. So I think that was an interesting observation for me. Um, aside from Coinbase, though, 
Google's um, real tone ad I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Did you see that one? I did. We'll put some links to these ads as well yeah, on our yeah, social yeah. media so you can watch them. So they debuted real tones, which was is a feature on their new Pixel 6 phone and it's an overdue solution to people of colour not being properly captured on mobile devices, which includes Google's own devices. So their ad featured a montage of people of colour that had been poorly captured on mobile devices. And behind this montage was an unreleased track from Lizzo. Now, after that montage of all the poor quality images uh, is shown, they reveal the phone, the new camera, and they present a new montage of these beautiful photos Ooh. that the camera's captured, yep. you know, showcasing the, the, uh, the work of the new re real tones. Uh, and then it reveals Lizzo, obviously, in the middle with all the people around it. Yeah. It's, it's a spectacular ad. Visually, it's beautiful. Mm. Uh, and I think it really showed the, the inclusivity that Google's trying to go for. So the takeaway for me was the diversity propelled the purchasing intent. So someone did a rundown of all the ads and Google's real tone had the most significant purchasing impact of the Super Bowl ads. It's a great sort of... I guess it's a glimpse into the past as such because the way that media went for so many decades was that you had television mm. which attracted people and ads went on television. Now we know there are so many different ways you can reach people but the Super Bowl remains this, I guess, three to four hour window into the traditional way to reach audiences. That is, everyone's watching the Super Bowl or massive audiences are. So let's put ads on there because that's where the eyeballs are. So I'm always intrigued as to what happens in that time because it showcases so many different attempts to get people's attention. I thought the Uber Eats ad was a stinker. Oh, it was shocking. And they actually got crucified. They got a stack of online mentions among the top three or four, I believe, ranked. But the mentions were terrible and the, most of them were crucifying uber eats for using an old leveraging an old tiktok trend with that oh no song in the background oh right yeah you can't even use a year old song <laughs> that's it you get crucified if you haven't seen the uh, uber eats super bowl ad type that into your search engine and have a look it's a stinker it's not great there was some funny ads there humor is a big part of some of these things um one of those was larry david doing oh, another crypto ad Yes, it was. Another crypto ad. It was brilliant. Two Larry and a half David's minutes. Great. Yeah, he's great. Two, I don't know what that would have cost for two and a half minutes, but it oh, was man. well done. And also an ad that involved the likes of uh, Peyton Manning and uh, Jimmy Buckets and, of course, Serena, Serena Williams. Yes. So that would not have been free either. And that went for a minute and a half. Steve Buscemi's in there too. So anyway, yeah. it is a production from head to toe, from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And it's a great contrast as well or comparison to how we do sports coverage in Australia. Oh, it, yeah. uh, it, it is a very, very slick production from start to finish. Now, other things to look out for in the week just gone. One quick thing has been a, a look at the numbers, Jordan, that Disney Plus is streaming service. So, of course, we have Disney Plus here in Australia, have for some time. But the numbers that Disney Plus is doing in the likes of India, what's that showing us? Yeah, so we've spoken about streaming platforms a lot on the podcast and how lately they're seeing a bit of a slow in their user growth. So they are, they are looking at new markets, new audiences to try and, you know, bolster those numbers again. And I reckon 
Disney Plus has found that India might present a really unique opportunity for them. So what they're seeing is the room to grow in India as in their audience is massive, but it's limited by their ability to monetize that audience. So there's more Disney Plus subscribers in India than North America by a few million. Now, the difference that they're paying, though, is pretty big. So in India, they're paying dollar three per month i believe that's and the revenue they're getting from that yeah yeah the revenue yep. part they're getting from it and then in north america it's 668 per viewer so about six times that yeah it's a it's a massive difference it's a it's a massive difference there's a few things that present as problems when trying to sort of per, uh, penetrate that indian audience their cable subscription there is um the, pro- the cost of that for the viewer is comparatively low, which makes the streaming services a bit less appealing. And the Indian audiences tend to demand localised content and that's very expensive to produce. Yeah, this is these, I guess, we know in, the, in Western countries as such that streaming services have grown so much in recent years, particularly boosted by COVID. Mm. Uh, and you've got to get to a point in those countries where you start to hit a ceiling on the numbers of people who will um, who will subscribe. Uh, so we're seeing that, but there are these other markets to get into. And I'll be interested to see what content does come out of there. We've seen, and we've spoken here before about Squid Game. Yep, Squid And Games. the massive hit that was for, um, for Netflix. I have watched the show that uh, HBO did in uh, Norway, which is the first HBO show not done in English, which was called The Foreigners, which um, I actually quite enjoyed. Um, So if we can see this content and where it goes with it, I'll be quite interested in that because, Mm. you know, again, we're on this ride now where things like streaming services are going down paths that they don't really know themselves where they'll end up. So how can we know about this? So uh, let's uh, keep an eye on that. But uh, weekend ahead, streaming services, uh, other media, what will you be having a look at this weekend? This weekend I'll be wrapping up the uh, the season one of The White Lotus on Binge. Oh, of course. Yeah, so sticking to the theme of not being on holiday but watching someone else on holiday, there's this collection <laughs> of families... <laughs> that visit this place in Hawaii and a, a series of unfoldings um, has created some drama. So I'm, I'm the last episode now left to watch, so curious to see how it ends. Someone someone dies somewhere, so I can't <laughs> see where at the moment. Well, enjoy that. Um, it's the return of football season for mm-hmm. me tomorrow night. The Mighty North Devils back out for the first time in the preseason. Uh, reigning premiers. Yes, the reigning premiers. So I'll be somewhere there and trying to squeeze in something to watch somewhere. <laughs> but enjoy the weekend, Jordan. You too.